Tucson Suns fans, Justin here, and with me as always is my podcasting partner, Paul. What's up, guys? That's it? Yep. Mm, okay. Too busy giving me the finger over there? Rude. Too busy. All right. Well, oh. welcome to this episode of Fan and Flames, your one and only Phoenix Suns podcast that is made for the fans. That's you guys. By the fans. That is us. As always, intro and outro music is provided by Oceans Over Airplanes. Check them out over at OceansOverAirplanes.com. You can give us a follow or even hit us up on Twitter. I'm at So Says Jay. Dervish of World. And the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher and Google Play. So before we hop in here, some housekeeping. You may have noticed that little advertising at the start of the episode, and you're wondering, hmm, why is that hmm. there? Paul, you want to tell them why that's there? So um, SB Nation um, has started a uh, podcast network, and they've asked us to if we wanted to be a part of it. And as we have been affiliated with Bright Side of the Sun for the past, is this two or three seasons? Three seasons? Three seasons. Past three seasons, we uh, figured it was only appropriate that we kind of hop on the train. And with that, we signed a bunch of agreements. And... uh, (laughs) We're now going to be having advertising in the show and whatnot, so hopefully we can actually make a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of money off of this. I think you just breached one of the agreements by <laughs> disclosing any sort of level of financial. I'm going to have to edit this now. Thank you, Paul. And to be fair, <laughs> really to, be fair no, I'm <laughs> to, be, to be fair, you're the lawyer. they didn't really <laughs> ask us. They pretty much said, if you want to keep using our, our name and, and the Bright Side logo, sign this. So, hey, here we are. Nothing's really going to change except every now and then there'll be a little, a little bit of a cut. We say nothing's going to change. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if there is a group that might be the first to violate something, <laughs> whether it's on purpose or on accident. Of all the Suns pods, they signed probably, to probably the wrong one. They have something about doing research. I'm not, I don't know about that noise. They have something about cursing. I don't know about that noise. Mm-hmm. It's not prohibited, but not to be used gratuitously. Gratuitously. So gratuitously. I will just, we'll just Fucking save a. it. <laughs> I was going to save it for something actually important. That was. That was... We're done. We're done. We're out. That's it. Okay. Hit our quota. Hit our quota. All right. So let's hop onto it. Let's hop yep. into the Suns here. Um, after it's actually a gonna be a fun pod. Bleak seventeen. <laughs> bleak is such an understatement for a seventeen game losing <laughs> streak. Disastrous. Bleak's like, oh, it's a little cloudy out. It's kind of bleak outside. That was pretty much like a fourteen-year winter storm. Which I just made up. That would be ridiculous. That's, I, that's like the winter actual. is coming. Game of Thrones, April fourth. Is it? I don't. I've never. I've never. April watched. something. I. I. I cannot wait. But at the calm, same time, I'm also calm down. I'm also afraid because then it just means it's ending, and then there's no more new. That's really it's a sad. sad way of looking at things. It is. It's why I've never watched the Mad Men finale. That means it's all. There's always a new episode you, out you, there. Hold me. on. There's a show you've watched all of it, and you didn't watch the finale. Yep. That's like <laughs> the most psychotic thing. There's I've a couple ever heard. shows I've done that with. What other ones? <laughs> um. Greek? Huh. I stopped watching after like season three. I was down to like the last two episodes and didn't watch them. <laughs> Anything else? That's the only two I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. But I mean, Lost disappointed me. So you're just trying to avoid <laughs> disappointment. Uh, kind of. I'm a, avoiding disappointment and also avoiding the sadness of the closure of it. I feel like then you being a Suns fan was a bad choice. <laughs> Not I, for the past two weeks, though. With no. Transition out of the tangent right back into the suns. Okay. so And right back into the tangent. Right back in, <laughs> we're going back into a tangent? No, we're going into the suns. So since the last time we recorded, yeah. two weeks ago. With Bill. With Bill. They've gone four and one. And I was nice. going to just say that, but you stole my thunder. It coincided with us bringing in a Nuggets fan, hoping to steal some of that mojo. And what do you know? Now if they go on nuggets Now if they go on like another like huge losing streak, then it's, it's pretty time much to bring absolute, back. It's like all <laughs> our fault. I might uh, yeah, yeah. Three man pod. Three man pod. So he's gonna have to sign some agreements. Yeah, he will. <laughs> um so anyway, four and one. You know, we made predictions that that uh 
that episode about how many games the Suns would win the rest of the year. I think you said three, Paul. Oh, I lost. I said I think I said four, maybe five, and then I changed to like twelve. Uh, and Bill said six. So he really came through with the optimism, and it's moving in that direction now. They've won four. There's no guarantee that they're going to win more. That rhymed. But it's been a pretty fun little streak to watch. And I know one thing that's going to be fun about it, too, is uh, I don't know if any of you – I'm sure a lot of you guys out there listen to Solar Panel. Last time we recorded two weeks ago, I was on Solar Panel that weekend, too. And we made some bets. And Espo and I, I'm quite certain, are losing bets. So we're going to see Espo dressed up like Jonah Hill. So that's going to be fun. That would be awesome. And I, for some reason, have to wear pink curtains around my – like a shawl, I guess. I don't know. But hey, if it means the Suns win games, then I'm all for it. So in that little 4-1 streak, they have beat the Heat. They beat the Lakers, which is always, always a good They didn't just beat the Lakers. They basically didn't make it impossible and made it really hard for them to make the playoffs. And with your hatred of LeBron, you probably love that even more. Double down the love for that thing, man. I tell you. I tell you. Ice makers distracting. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then they uh, also beat the Bucks, swept the Bucks this season series, which is uh, something else based on Only the Only team that, in the league to do that. There you go. Take that, Mike Budenholzer. That's Take what you that, get. Greek freak. Yeah, you guys You weren't suck. really freaky against the Suns. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> and then they beat the Knicks, which, nah, okay, you beat the Knicks. Well, I don't know. I mean, they've struggled against – they tend to kind of play to their competition. So you put – so I was actually kind of it was very um in not um god I'm blanking on the word and it's a simple ass word too neat okay. it's very neat to see <laughs> um very neat to see <laughs> that um they came out against the Knicks I mean yeah they started a little bit slow but I mean that thing was a blowout which is when was the last time the Suns were on the positive side of a blowout and for, is that a rhetorical question, or do you want an actual answer? It was a rhetorical question because, but I think there might have been another one this season. But even still, um, they they played the played them really well. They, I mean, Booker had his best game in the season, at least scoring wise, um, and kind of the rest of the team kind of held their own. But like I said, it was really good to kind of see them really take control of a game. And like once they took control, they pretty much held it for the rest of the game. And that's a really good sign kind of going forward. Gotcha. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it was, I mean, this whole streak, we'll call it a streak and there's a loss in there, but it's a streak for the Suns. It's a streak as has been encouraging to watch. And, you know, we talked about our last episode too, whether we would be happy or disappointed to see, to see the Suns win games for the, throughout the rest of the season. And I think you and I both unequivocally said happy and excited to see it. And we're seeing that come to fruition, which is which is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And during that streak, you know, there have been some players that have really, really stood out. Um, you know, Devin Booker posted a season high forty one points the other night against the Knicks, and also is averaging twenty seven six and five on really efficient shooting over that time frame too. I think he's shooting better than forty five percent overall from the field, better thirty six percent from three, which is great to see from Book especially because he's kind of over the past few weeks, ever since he came back from that injury, still hasn't really seemed like the same booker that you're used to seeing. Yeah, I mean, actually, there was a really interesting uh, stat that came out um, that uh, Evan Sidery tweeted the other night um, that since the Tyler Johnson trade, Devin Booker's been shooting 48.3% on catch-and-shoot threes, which, I mean, is just an ungodly percentage for a three-point shooter. And it just really goes to show you like how much more Booker could be unleashed once um, the Suns get a true point guard in place, which we've all been clamoring for for a year. So, I mean, whenever that happens, we'll – I mean, I don't know if we're going to talk about it today, but in the future when we start talking about like draft and free agent potential prospects, you know, that's obviously going to be one of the major focuses of the, of the Suns. I mean, even like – Kevin O'Connor out of the ringer reported earlier this week that um, the Suns were willing to offer and then clarified by Gamba that the Suns were willing to offer the Milwaukee pick for Terry Rozier this past year. But the uh, 
the Celtics weren't willing to accept that. I think they wanted the Suns pick unprotected. And, like, I'm sorry, no. Terry Rozier is a good player, but he's not potentially getting Zion Williams good player. Yeah, he's not a he's not a first round unprotected pick good player. No. Well and, and you know, speaking of point guards or air quotes point guards, Tyler Johnson finally started playing yeah. decently. I mean when he I mean he's just a he's a decent player. When he when he came <laughs> here he certainly wasn't. Those first five games were what's the word I'm looking for, Paul? Atrocious? I don't know. It might not be quite five games. It was the first four games. Terrible. Terrible. First four games, he averaged five and a half points a game, four and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting a whopping twenty point six percent overall. <sighs> and and I mean, I guess you can give him this. He shot twenty percent from three point range. So I mean, <laughs> he was consistent. <laughs> At least you've got that going. But then since those since those first five games, first four games, excuse me, over the last six, during which the Suns have gone four and two, he's upped his average at 13.8, um, four, 4.3 assists, shooting 30, excuse me, 40%, 40.7% for three-point range, and 47.5% overall. And that includes in there a couple of games where he really didn't play that well at all. He had three points on one of seven shooting against New Orleans and six points on one of five shooting against uh, the Lakers. But ultimately, as a whole, he's looking like the player that we at least expected him to kind of be. Right. And I think even though he's not the quintessential point guard that you would expect, obviously the team as a whole is benefiting from that, which then, of course, begs the question, what would it be like if we actually did have a point guard? Who knows? Hopefully, we'll see in the future. But hopefully, hopefully, someday, we, someday crossed. the Suns will have a point guard. Someday, that much, that much, I can guarantee you. Someday. How soon that day will come is a different question altogether. Hopefully, it's in our lifetime. Well, Jesus, Paul. I mean, well, <laughs> hopefully that light those lifetimes expand for many more years. Rest in peace, Luke Perry. Ah, dude, let's fuck. <laughs> That's messed up, man. <laughs> I used mine already. That is messed up. That Luke Perry died at 52 of him. What, massive stroke? Yeah. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if anything else kind of the what the causes of that. And, you know, welcome to our tangents. But, yeah, I definitely— You're acting like people don't hear, like like we're all of a sudden going to have new people listening. Yeah, I know. Maybe we will. Maybe I, don't we will. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Being part of a network. Yes. Yeah, so— yeah, an incubator. Not not Luke Perry. I don't want to talk about Luke <laughs> Perry anymore. Um, Do you want to talk about the 90210 revival? You know, I never watched 90210. You didn't? I've never seen a single episode. Oh, not, everyone's so shocked about that when they when they hear that about me. Like, I apparently give off the I watch 90210. Well, no, it's more is just everybody our age watching. You know what? At, at at Brophy, which is. <laughs> Why I went to high school, just in case anyone's wondering, I'm not just, I just don't know stuff about Brophy. We had a 90210 club. Like a club, like they had t-shirts, they had meetings, like it was a school Were any of your club. friends that I know in it? Because that would tell me a lot about them. Um, I don't think so. Alex might have been. We'll <laughs> ask him. We'll ask him. It was either him or Chris. I was like. They both might have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that, that makes sense. Okay. Sons, Paul. Sons. Sons. Tangents. So tangents on the Suns. Anything else about that? This little five-game streak. Are we just gonna not talk about DeAndre Ayton? No, no. I I I want to. Well, because it sounded like you were like ready to wrap up. And move no, on. I'm 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 letting you talk, man. <laughs> um, with regards to Booker, I think I mean you already talked about Booker. I know. I'm just saying. I'm, talk about I was, Ayton. I was. I want saying you to talk that about I was Resting my case on Booker. What case? Nobody's arguing with you about it. <laughs> I don't know. There's some people who argue. <laughs> Always people who argue. So, DeAndre Ayton. I want you to talk about DeAndre Ayton first because I always talk about DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> yes, you do. I've been talking about DeAndre Ayton since DeAndre Ayton was still in college, since he was barely in college. I paid a lot of attention to him in high school. Not going to lie. So, so, you talk about DeAndre Ayton because I do have something to say about DeAndre Ayton, something that makes me unhappy about DeAndre Ayton. But first you. I really enjoyed watching Aiton these last couple games. It's, I think what 
those of us who have been proponents of DeAndre Ayton were hoping to see earlier. You know, he was really being aggressive. That was definitely something that I was getting concerned about in the season. He was very, you know, acting a little more passive. He wasn't, like, really, like, taking it to the rim, like, really kind of using his strength and his size to, like, overpower guys, and it was really nice to see him doing that, but also doing some things with finesse. Like, I mean... I can't tell you how many times I watched that replay of that fake dribble handoff where he then like took it in and just had that nice little like little like touch shot to put it in. It would have been really nice if he turned that into like a really like aggressive dunk but and just like pushed through guys, but at the same time he was he was in control of himself offensively and actually like bringing the game to him not just like letting it come to him in the flow of it he was like saying oh no this is my game i'm doing this and i'm going to be the one who brings this across the court was 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 that was that the lakers game uh i can't it was either it was the lakers or the bucks it was okay. one of the two okay i i, I can't remember which one That's i want to say the bucks but um the other thing is on the defensive side I thought he really showed out pretty well. I mean, Igor put him specifically, he was the primary defender on both LeBron and Giannis in back-to-back games. I mean, those guys, I mean, one's in the conversation as potentially the the GOAT, and the other one is maybe in that conversation in 15 years, but is currently probably going to be this season's MVP. So to play, to defend both those guys in back-to-back games and hold both of them to below their averages while also being productive on the offensive end was really impressive. He kept, he was in control of himself on the defensive floor. He made, he made some mistakes. I mean, he's still a rookie and everybody makes mistakes, but for the most part, he played within the system and held his own in those positions. Well, what's interesting though is he was basically kind of acting like a four on defense, Mm -hmm. which I don't know what that means on a go-forward basis because if that's really where he fits better from a defensive standpoint, we need to figure out who and how can be that true rim protector and what that means. Maybe that's Zion. He likes to block shots. (laughs) He, he, he blocked three does. pointers from he, ten feet out. Dude, that 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 <laughs> that, that block was ridiculous. Um, it, well, 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 Jal Morant likes to block jumpers twice on the same shot. Did you see that? Did you see I that? I missed that one. I need to. See he that. went up and got a piece of it, so and it like kind of had a weird angle. With, well, he got no, he got it with one hand and then got it with his other hand. Oh wow, that's impressive. It was weird. Like I don't even. <laughs> you can see jumps like this. Try to find the video, and and. Like, you can watch it over and over, and you're like, I still don't understand how that worked, just, like, based on physics. Yeah, I like that movement you did there. It's like the uh, that Simpsons episode where Bart and Lisa, Lisa's like, I'm just going to kick my feet like this. I'm and just going to swing Exactly, exactly. That was kind of his block there. And, it, you know, so... But at any rate, and I'm not, I'm not trumping for him over Zion. But you know what? The way the Suns are playing right now, they'll probably be, like, you know, a, a playoff team. No. Obviously, impossible. But I'm not trumping for Morant over Zion, just for the record, before anybody like kills me for assuming that that's what I'm doing. Um, but Aiton, I don't need to go into a lot of detail about how much I love this guy. Uh, he did really play more assertive over this, over this period of time, especially, especially in that Lakers game. You know that Lakers game was the first time this season he shot over 10 free throws in a game? I want the DeAndre Ayton that gets to the line 10 times a game. Because then forget it, league. Game over, yeah. you're done. Um, and, and, you know, he... That type of aggression, and, and I think, obviously, getting the line that many times comes from being assertive on the offensive right, exactly. side. And, you know, you talk about that move where he faked the handoff and, and put the ball on the floor and took it to the rim. I think once he fully realizes that he can do that on a regular basis and kind of gets over the fact that he's a rookie or whatever it is that's kind of it's, – it's like Booker a few years ago. I remember we talked about this. He was having this terrible, terrible streak. He finished the year – it was maybe his rookie or his sophomore, sophomore year. year. Well, we weren't potting his rookie year. His, okay, so his second year, he finished the year poorly. 
He started his third year off poorly. <clears throat> and I was saying that there's something there that's mentally blocking him from becoming what he can be. And then he, I think I named the podcast, did this podcast just save the Suns? Um, <laughs> because after that, he started playing better. He became more assertive. He played the game that we know he can play. And I think it's just a matter of time before DeAndre Ayton does that as well. Now, let me get to the part of DeAndre Ayton that I'm not happy about. They didn't start doing this earlier? How many <laughs> field goal attempts do you think he averages per game? Not enough. Yeah, well, that's the easy answer. And, and, and the I real mean, answer... I want to say it's like, what, 10? 12. 12.1 a game. I wanted to say 12, but I like was like, that might be too high. Right. And, and, you know, that's not all that surprising that you would think that that's too high because he really every game you look at it, it's like he's right in that ballpark, which is why it's his average. But 12 shots a game for that guy is not what he should be getting. I think he should be taking at least 15 a game. That might not sound like a big difference, but it is. Actually, one thing that I noticed watching these last couple games that is kind of new for DeAndre which is something he did in college and something that I, I had seen in some, like, you know, practice videos and whatnot, but I haven't seen as much in games, but it was really evident in these last couple of games is he's running the floor on fast breaks. He's getting out there. He's getting in position. He's getting momentum, and he's running alongside, and these guys guys are finding him. That And that's the other thing that has been an unfortunate side effect of not having a point guard is we don't have guys who are great getting a guy like DeAndre Ayton the ball in spots where he can really capitalize on it. He's like, he's getting it and then he has to work a little bit more to like get the shot. So it's not always the easiest shot. So, I mean, that's something that will be worked through over uh, the next like couple seasons as he kind of grows into who he is. But um, there was a lot of positive out of the lot last couple games and I'm hoping to see it kind of continue. I hope it's not just a flash in the pan um, because yeah, if he starts getting to the line more, if he starts like really overpowering guys, um, yeah, I mean, offensively, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big difference maker. I, I'm not going to lie. There were periods I would watch some of those games and I'm like, he's Alex Len with a slightly better touch. That's dude. Come on, come but, on, Paul. No, that's like, insane. Yes, that's I'm, insane. Yes, I'm not saying that that's who not he was, insane. but the, but the fear was like that. That's what he's going to develop into. Is like he's not figuring out how to be the aggressive guy that we all want him to be. We know he could be. It's he's um too passive. Too passive. He is, um, God. Why am I blanking on words tonight? But words he, he's, he's he's taking, um, you know, jumpers instead of like taking it in for layups or dunks. And then, like I said, he's got a better touch because he settles less. too much. Yeah, he settles. That was the word I was blanking on. He was settling for jumpers instead of like really using his frame and his size and his explosiveness to really. Do that, and like I said, these last couple of games, I've started to see more of it. He still is settling for jumpers in some instances, like that one play that I was talking about, where it did end with a jumper, and it would have been nice to see it be a dunk because dunks carry energy, like they really do. Like they excite the like that energy that transfers when a guy aggressively puts the ball in the hoop, just like gets everybody on the team going, gets all the fans going, and it just really can change momentum. Much like like a dagger three, but like a a mid range shot doesn't really like have the same effect. Not the same oomph. Right. Exactly. Sure. And you, you know the thing that is my favorite, at least at least on in the Twitterverse and online, favorite thing to see with DeAndre Ayton are videos that Kellen has posted a few times over the past few weeks of Ayton sitting there and just knocking down threes. Because that's something that I think he's going to do at some point in his NBA career. I mean, he's right. only taken four this year. He's but, taken that many? Yeah. Um, but I think he can stretch it out and, and do that. And if he puts that into his game, 
along with developing this more aggressive attitude, putting the ball on the floor more, which again I think he will do as his as his game develops. Right. Remember, he's a young kid, nineteen, right. maybe he's twenty now. I'd like to see him get a, a better post game too, but and that comes with time because it's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. footwork and whatnot. Maybe send him to Elijah camp for the summer. Hell yeah, I'm all for that. Absolutely. So okay, well, enough coverage there on those five games, Paul, or at least the totality of those five games. Yes. Yeah. Because I know there's one more guy that we want to talk about that has played well in those five games, but we'll get to that after we get to this brand new segment on Fanning the Flames. It is the What's Going On with TJ Warren, the TJ Warren update segment. So as we go into that, I'll start it off like this. Paul, what's going on with TJ Warren? Still injured. Okay, and we're done with that. Still not sure why. And on that note, (laughs) we still don't know why. On that note... Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. Okay, and we're back. So, like I said before the break there, the other player that we really do want to talk about in terms of this past five games, really since he's b- become a Phoenix Sun, is Kelly Oubre. Because Kelly Oubre has been playing well, again, since he got to the team, but has been playing exceptionally well over Tsunami this Poppy? little speak. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that new t-shirt over on Bright Side of the Sun. That's his Twitter name. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't know why I don't follow him on Twitter. I followed him the other night. <laughs> well, there you go. He's got one of us. Um, yeah, he, he's been he's been playing very well over this, um, you know, this, this time frame. And also, again, since he's gotten to the team over this five games here where the Suns have gone four and one, he's averaging... Close to 19 points a game, seven rebounds, almost two steals, and a block, which I think is where Kelly Oubre really brings a lot of value to the team is that defensive energy. Yeah. He's got those he's long all arms. over the place. He is. He is. And he just pesters. He's become a quick, quick fan favorite here in Phoenix. I mean, he was right when he got here just because of the dreamy eyes, but now he's the game pretty. is now the game's catching up with those dreamy eyes. So, um, Paul, what do you think about Kelly over these uh, five games? And really over the entire time frame he's been a Phoenix Sun. I mean— Unlike Tyler Johnson, but then again, different positions, different responsibilities. He was he was on it from like day one. I mean, that first game. I mean, there were Suns fans were like, "Who's this guy? And why have we not had guys like this before?" And so it's been really fun. Were we at his first game? Or if it wasn't his first game, we were at one of his early games. His first game was at Boston, so I don't think we were there. Okay, but we might have been at his like first home game. OKC, yeah, we were there. So yeah, so he, um, I mean, he's been aggressive both offensively and defensively, um, and it, yeah, sometimes he'll like he puts his head down and is like looking for his own shot, but it, but it's not. I don't feel like he's like a black hole. Not though. not not like T.J. Warren kind of. Right, or even Josh Jackson, mm-hmm. where. Because, I mean, I think he's he's not expected to, like, do some of the ball handling that, like, Josh does or whereas TJ's just like, I only know how to score. That's all I know how to do. Um, but he's just active and that, like I was talking about with the, with the um, with dunks and how they bring energy, you have one guy on the court who's just active and, like, just, like, exuding this energy. It gets the other guys going because they're like, if he's working that hard, I need to work that hard or I'm not going to stay on the court. And it's really helped. Um, particularly on the defensive end to like gel the guys and like just get everybody moving and everybody talking and everybody just kind of being engaged on that side of the ball. So I've, I've loved what I've seen from him. I mean, I hope the Suns bring him back. Um, I think he's really a piece. I mean, I don't know if I would call him a core piece, but he is definitely core adjacent because I mean, I think he has, a lower ceiling than some of the other guys on the team. Like obviously Booker, Aiton, but I mean there's I think Bridges has a really high a much higher ceiling than he's really shown this year. And I mean Jackson actually obviously might actually have more of a ceiling if he can kind of settle himself down a little bit, but you know if we keep four of those guys I really think Ubre really needs to be one of those guys in that group because I think he brings a lot of intangibles that some of those, some of the other guys we have on the team don't, which is something that will can really help us move forward. Plus, he wants to be here. Which, yeah, 
Yeah, and I think that's a huge part of it. You know, he said the other day that he wants to be here and he wants to start a dynasty here in yeah. Phoenix. When was the last time somebody used the word dynasty in Phoenix in the same sentence? Probably related to the Arizona Rattlers or something, man, because there hasn't been much talk about that in a long time. And to hear a player like Kelly Oubre, who's only been with the team for really half a season, uh, step in and say that type of stuff, uh, you know, maybe it's just player speak, but that's, that's, that's stepping out and make a very strong statement about how he feels about the team, how he feels about the city, which is something we need. And you talk about, you know, maybe he's not a, you know, a core piece. I, he's pretty close. And you look at what he brings to this team. It reminds me a lot of, you know, Marion, Marion, Marion-esque, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> brings the energy, brings the defense, brings excitement to the fans, things like that. That's exactly the kind of thing that a team like this needs, especially when you have you know Booker, who's developing himself into a in, into a leader, right? Um, and then you you've got Aiton, who is developing himself developing into a player. player and is has a has an incredibly high ceiling. But you need that kind of rah rah, get us all fired up guy. You need you need the dude, and I think this is where Booker's starting to trend towards. That's going to express criticism and that type of stuff. And I'm not saying that Ubre won't or hasn't or will not in the future, but he brings that positive energy all over the court, which, like you said, rubs off on the other players and is something that, especially when you have a young team like that, is is really important to to have. And and I'll say this too, you know, you talk about ceilings between him and between Bridges. I understand Bridges hasn't been in the league as long, obviously, but remember, Ubre is not that much older than Bridges. Mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, maybe even less than a year. Uber is 23 and Bridges is 22. Right. So there's not a huge age gap there. Um, and I think that Ubre has played, and I have no statistical data to back this up, but I think Ubre's played better here than he had in Washington because uh, he doesn't right now come across as the type of guy that you wanted to get rid of. Right, yeah. I, well, I think the the Washington issue was more of – they are. They had so much money tied up in between Wall and Beal and Porter, and it's like, okay, he's coming up under search of free agency. We'd love to keep, probably like we'd love to keep him, but we just don't have the money. So they're like, okay, what can we get for him? And the, like those are the hard decisions you have to make when you're building a team, and particularly when you're building a team with a bunch of guys who are about the same age, which is probably means it's going to be a problem the Suns are going to run into in the near future is like we got a lot of guys who are coming up on contracts at about the same time and you're gonna have to pay them all uh, or make hard decisions of Mm -hmm. who you pay and who you don't i mean hopefully i'm actually i'm not even gonna say it i want to know what you're gonna say say it you can't do that it's not allowed we don't i mean we don't have anybody of this level on the suns right now and the suns aren't even good like this but i would hate to see something to the extent of you're down to like two players and the team chooses one over the other and the one that they let go is the one who is actually much more successful in my brain what i thought of was james harden and obviously there's nobody on the team who we would consider letting go who could become that because they were already good right when that happened but um, just the idea of like, you know, we have all these young guys who are show- growing and showing potential and you're having to make decisions on guys who haven't really come into that truly come into their own. And then you pick the lesser of the two. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's going to be a concern at, at some point. And it, it always can be. You never know right. what a player is going to develop into. But yeah, I'm, I think that. When they made the trade to get Ubre, I, I I love the move because you got a kid that's coming up on a contract year. So cap wise, you have your pick. You can either say okay, he's worth it, he's worth keeping, or you can say, mm, well, we gave it a shot, didn't work out like uh, Alfred Payton, yeah, and let him go, and and you're right back where you started. Ubre has shown that he deserves and should stay on this team. It's just a matter of what he's going to demand in in free agency, and if it's something that the Suns are going to be willing or able to match right i mean this going into this offseason this is the follow-up season after the big cap spike where a lot of the contracts that were signed during that see that offseason 
are expiring. So you're looking, running into a situation where a lot of teams are going to have a lot of cap space. And so you can run into a situation where after like the big guys are off the table, other teams are going to be who have needs are going to start to get desperate. So hopefully, hopefully Ubre is pretty high on the Suns list, and they're contacting him pretty early in the free agency process, and giving him an offer he's um, that's acceptable to him. But it's also an offer he can't refuse. I don't know if it's an offer he can't refuse, but it's an offer that would be acceptable to all sides based on his role and his production and whatnot. So, like, I'm ideally thinking maybe something similar to kind of what uh, TJ signed a couple years back because I think that would be um, the type of deal that I think kind of warrants his role. So, we'll, but again, like I said, it's the timing of it. There could there's gonna be some crazy money available this summer, and he's proven he can play, and he's proven he brings a lot of positivity to the team. I mean, granted, he showed up, and they also went on a 17 game losing streak, so there is some counterbalancing there. But even during that period of time, he was definitely one of the more positive players on the team. Yeah, and I think <laughs> again, there's. A lot to be said about, I, I believe, him coming out and saying he wants to be here and he wants to build something here because it shows his comfort with the, not only the team and the players but the organization. And I think that's useful for the organization that has such a negative uh, um, perception around the league. Right. I mean, the Suns, we've seen the articles this week. We'll talk about the articles that have come out this week. Nobody looks at Phoenix and goes, hell yeah, that's the place I want to be. And having a player who just got here come out and say that, I think, helps the Suns' reputation, even the smallest way. Right. And nothing's too small in terms of helping the Suns' reputation at this point in time because it's been tarnished that much. So on multiple levels, I think Kelly Oubre makes a ton of sense for the, for the team. And ultimately, with him wanting to be here, give him the opportunity to be here. I mean, I, I think he needs to be priority one this offseason. I, 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 and I understand point guard... All that stuff, but you at least have some control over this situation. Right. And well, I mean, if it comes down to paying Ubre something that's reasonable or possibly having to overpay for a restricted free agent point guard, I don't know. That's a tough call. Well, the, you got to remember. And, I'm, and I mean, and I'm, I'm, people probably call me crazy about that because I just said that I would take that over a point guard, and I get that, but I'm not, I'm not all that keen or high on the point guards that are available out there i think the suns are going to look at having to do that through a trade somehow i'm i'm leaning trade because i mean there's we have some players with potential and we have some players with that could become salary filler um coming into this offseason that i think the better option would be a trade and i think i I, me- I mentioned this a couple weeks back i'm the idea that like like Mike Conley like really like coming in with a veteran presence, veteran presence in the position that kind of controls the tempo, controls you know how the game flows at least offensively, would be could really be that type of um, linchpin that could kind of take a bunch of young, really talented players and kind of bring it into a cohesive unit and then be the glue guy yeah it'd be the glue guy who also makes like the second highest salary on the team hey (laughs) whatever but um you know you've got guys like tj warren or like maybe josh jackson or even tyler johnson and from a salary perspective i mean how many years left does conley have like three maybe Mm, and johnson's done after this year and like so Mm -hmm. between like a guy like Warren or Jackson and Johnson and a pick, you know, that's a reasonable, that's a decent package. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I I love Josh Jackson. Everybody knows that. I said the Suns would pick him early, maybe in November of that college year, um, of his of his last college year. But if you can tell me that the Suns would be able to land a point guard and keep Kelly Oubre, but Josh Jackson has to go in that trade, fine. I don't love him that much. You're right. He got rid of the fro. I don't love him that much anymore. 
As long as Kelly Oubre doesn't lose all of his tattoos, then he's going to be good in my book, too. He didn't show up to an autograph signing? Well, you know, he was at a birthday party or a family emergency, depending on whether you believe what he said or what he posted on social media <laughs> right. on Instagram. But, hey, it, it happens, I guess. And <clears throat> the last point I'll make on Kelly Oubre is, I just said this, the tattoos, I love the guy's tattoos. And at that Oklahoma City game, Paul... Yeah. And we talked about this on the pod before. You said, is that a Misfits tattoo? And I was like, I'm like, there's no way. Did a little research here. It's a Misfits tattoo. His left leg has, like, all music tattoos, apparently. He's got a Misfits tattoo. Is the Misfits skull with the Misfits, uh, you know, name logo on it. And then he has Jimi Hendrix on his leg, too. You got to respect a guy that's going to put just a punk band and then, I mean, punk band, you know, an old school one. And the greatest and, guitar player and ever. And the greatest <laughs> guitar player ever on his leg and just rock it. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So anything else on Mr. Ubre, Paul? Nope. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, we'll take one more break here while you all think about Kelly Ubre's beautiful, beautiful eyes. All right. And we're back. So the last thing we want to get into here today, this evening are the articles that have come out about the Suns over the past week. It seems like they were on ESPN's hit list this week because everyone's just like, okay, first Woj, then I forgot the guy's name who wrote the uh, article. Kevin Arnovitz. Arnovitz. Um, the Ringer did an article about the state of the Suns. Um, I think somebody else did one too, I think. I'm going to do my own article about the state of the Suns and tell them all to shut up and just mind their own business. It, it, from a media perspective, it was a rough week for the Suns. But then again, the last time the Suns had a winning streak was also a pretty rough media week. What was that? I don't remember. Oh, what was it? Um, <laughs> you just say that? Well, I, I saw it in one of the articles, but now I'm blanking on what the this, this stuff was that was, they were talking about. Okay. But yeah, so go, go look back at I December. Will. I will. I'll do that, Paul. I will do that. I'll do that absolutely. You'll do research. I'll do research right now. Um, no, I, it, it was it was a rough media week, but ultimately, you know what? The Suns have the third best winning streak in the West right now, so suck it. Suck it, ESPN. That's right. I said it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If the season was only these last two weeks, the Suns be would... be champions. The Suns would be in the playoffs. <laughs> Hell yeah. Three Suns seed. have home court. Three seed. So Possibly two seed, depending on what conference they're in. So, Paul, why don't you well, – let's jump in. Let's jump into some yeah. of the stuff in the article. I know that when we were talking earlier, you, you're big on the goats. The goats. I like the goats. The goats is hilarious. Tell us about the goats, Paul. Well, for those of you who didn't read the article or haven't really been paying too much attention to um, any of the media that's kind of come out about it, the, the biggest excerpt of, from the article from a humor standpoint was that during – over the summer – the the Mercury actually um, had a promotion or like they were honoring Diana Taurasi during the game. And because she's the goat of women's basketball, they brought in a pen of goats into the arena. It was actually kind of cool. Um, but so what Robert Sarver did was he took said goats and put them in Ryan McDonough's office. Mm hmm. Apparently, this was a combination of a practical joke and a kind of like sending a little message to kind of say, hey, the sons need a goat too. But, and I'm going to use my curse word for the pod. Mm -hmm. Those goats proceeded to shit all over his office. <laughs> so what it makes this, was, that makes it funnier than defecate. I don't know. <laughs> Defecate's a good word, but anyways. What was he, what was he thinking, dude? <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't really think about this until just now. But what goes through somebody's mind? And I, I, I'm the, I might be the one person in Phoenix that doesn't despise Robert Sarver, but what goes through somebody's mind when they're like, I'm going to put a bunch of goats in somebody's office? Do you think these goats are like house trained? Like they wouldn't they're just... They're wild animals. <laughs> I, the only thing that like came to my mind was like, this is what <laughs> seniors in high school do for their senior prank. 
So, like, you're looking at a level of humor of a 17 to 18 year old who hasn't figured fully figured out the to understand ramifications of decisions. So maybe this is part of the course. I, f- I feel like his next move, like next month, he's going to put James Jones's car on the roof of the arena or something like that. You know, <laughs> he's going to cut it in half and put it around the flagpole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, I think that was used in the article as not only, you know, well, I don't know that it was necessarily intended to be funny in the article. It just happened <laughs> to be sorry. funny. But it, it was a, 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 a microcosm of the dysfunctionality, perhaps? I, yeah, pretty much. Like, the, the lack of forethought in decision-making, I think, is, it really is analogous to kind of that a little bit with regards to the son's overall and actually i was listening to uh zach lowe had kevin arnovitz on his pod recently and they obviously were talking about the article because it was a big uh nba article from espn there was a lot of like that one took a lot of time it wasn't just like a oh this is happening right now this was uh he went in interviewed robert sarver excuse me sarver interviewed a bunch of other people and uh put together the article so they're you know he was arnovitz was on kind of the media blitz but one of the things that they were talking about, um, and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> one of the things they were talking about, Kevin Lowe's podcast. Come on, Paul, yeah, exactly. find it. Okay, so, shit. <laughs> I used my other curse word. Um, I'm going to make you remember. I'm going to remember. Um, okay, where was I? Where was I? Where did I start? You said you were listening to the Kevin Lowe no, podcast. before that. You were talking about the lack of foresight. Oh, right, right. Okay, so what I was get what I was getting to was um, back to Robert Sarver's propensity to continue to hire people in management positions who lack experience, and I. It seems that there is there is clearly a pattern here where he's constantly trying to look for a diamond in the rough or trying to get, for lack of a better term, a deal. Is like you're getting a guy who's taking the job because he wants an opportunity and you're hoping that he's going to be, you know, like really like level up in the position, but he has no true track record in the position, like really running a team or being a coach. Because, I mean, the only hire Sarver has made at either the coach or the GM position since he took over the team that had experience was Alvin Gentry. And that's because Alvin Gentry took over as an interim coach and was successful. Every other person had not held whatever position they were taking previously. And that's a concern because even in that process, there are other players or other people who are hired into those positions who haven't had experience, but there's also a level. And I hate to keep go get into the concept of cheapness, but like you look at like a Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens was a coach at the college level. The Boston Celtics gave him a five-year deal at like four or five million dollars a year sarver's never paid more than two and a half million dollars for a coach i mean at a certain point there we're looking at the definition of insanity you keep doing the same thing expecting different results that's not what's happening and so that kind of leads to that that back to that idea of lack of forethought when you're going through the decision making is it's like okay this is what i want this is what i'm willing to spend this is what I can get with that, but is that really going to take me to that next level that I'm desperately trying to get to? Yeah, but I think it's a little unfair to say that because, I mean, when they hired Kokoshkov, were you complaining? No. Right, so I, I don't well, think you can say... I mean, you, I, can't, you, you can't just use past examples. That was one thing that I had with... with what's the guy? I keep forgetting the guy's name. Um, whoever wrote the article. Is, is, is he's like, oh, there's one time when Robert Sarver, you know, spoke down to Grant Hill in 2012. Who gives a shit what happened in 2012? I really don't care. I mean, the Suns, this, he, I, I think personally that Robert Sarver's meddlesome ways, they've taken a step back. 
Obviously, we everybody looks at well. He fired Ryan McDonough eight days eight days before the season started. Yes, he did. He fired and Earl that, Watson that three games all, into the previous the, season. Did Earl Watson deserve to be fired? Yes. Okay. So, Should Earl Watson have been hired? <laughs> right, but again, you're talking about what's gone on years ago. Right, but it's a and pattern. if you're saying if you're saying that there's there's a pattern of him hiring people that are unexperienced and yada yada yada, but then you say. But I thought Kokoshkov was the right hire. Kokoshkov's coached a national team to a European championship. Kokoshkov was one of the most respected assistants in the league. I never said I thought Kokoshkov was but the right hire. But you used coaching as your specific example. I, Kokoshkov wasn't... Within the constraints of what we knew Sarver was willing to do, Kokoshkov was the best option available. Was he the right hire? Were there better coaches on the market that he could have taken... Could have gotten yes, but he operates in this box that nobody else in the NBA, particularly successful teams, operate in. And you can't operate in that box and be successful when that's not how the rest of the league operates. So, are you saying that the Suns will never be a successful team under Robert Sarver? Sounds I'm, like it. If it happens, there's going to be a lot of luck involved. <laughs> Okay, okay. That's not very optimistic of you, Paul. You know we are the podcast of optimism. <laughs> I'm the pessimist. Um, I'm trying to see if... I don't see any reports on what Robert Sarver is paying Igor Kokoshkov, which isn't uncommon, I guess, in terms of coaches. You don't always see what they get paid. But He's probably the one of the lowest paid coaches in the league. But, I mean, you're assuming. No, it's pretty much known. Oh, pretty much known like show me something that tells me what he's making that i'll believe I, I just i need to see it i'm not saying it's not probably true i'm just saying i need to see it now i'm gonna be pessimistic dave. about you dave knows better than any of us and he's i wonder if dave knows how much he makes eh. he probably has will, a general I, idea i will ask dave anyway no I, I you're probably right but at the end of the day i mean who else was out there that would have been a better option hmm the guy who's coaching the best team in the league right now? That lost to the Suns twice. But, but no, <laughs> but but obviously they were involved in talks with him. And if I recall correctly, he wanted more control over the team. He wanted, he wanted basically like to be the de facto general manager, if not the general manager. Right, too. which is a bad decision. I, I right. mean, that's, that makes sense. I mean, you don't – that's a horrible move to do, to give one guy both those roles because they're so different jobs. But – I mean, I think there's a a level with um, Sarver where in his pre- previous career, in his real estate career, I mean, one of the things that he was very proud of was finding young managerial talent and giving them the leeway to succeed. I don't, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like he gives, he, he still tries to find that young, um, those young people with talent and potential but for the Suns, but he's not giving them the leeway that you'd think that apparently he gave in his prior career. And that that's what's weird to me. And maybe it's just because the competitiveness of it or just the – he doesn't understand the timetable or truly requires to like develop that and he has his own timetable. And if they're not meeting that, I don't know what it is. But clearly – I mean, I, it's, we said it before, there is only one constant in the last <laughs> nine years since Nash left. There's, o- there's only one constant. So let me ask you this. James Jones as the GM, which, you know, the article said that no one in Phoenix has a strong sense of whether Sarver will install Jones or Buckstein as permanent ger- general manager. Oh, wait. We're supposed to give proper. I'll quote it. Quote, no one in Phoenix has a strong sense of whether Sarver will install Jones and Buckstein as a permanent managerial team or if he will look outside the organization for a president of basketball operations. If it's a latter, would the new executive overhaul the front office and eject those who survived the October purge? End quote. So going along those lines, what do you think about the idea of Jones becoming the GM because I think the assumption is, in fact, that Jones will be the GM. I mean, that's I, I, I've assumed that since McDonough got fired. 
a lot of people that I talk to that follow the Suns closely and know the Suns very well think that. Well, again, but I think the Adam, other aspect is bringing in a, an, a, a, a seasoned executive to also be involved in that. Almost like, you know, bad bad comparison, but like when Lon Bavi was the president of basketball bad, operations. Bad whatever, but you bring Phil in somebody Jackson else that's going Knicks. to... That you bring in somebody else that actually would be an appropriate fit for that particular position. Right. I mean, I haven't hated Jones's tenure. Let me say, let me, well, you say that. Let me ask you this. What has he done wrong? What has he done wrong? Like, what move has James Jones made well, that you've been like, well, that was a terrible idea? I mean, the only thing I can say that he's done wrong, per se, is we still don't have a true point guard. I mean, he brought in Tyler Johnson, but... Yeah, but you, you work with what the market has and what the market's willing to give. Right. Will you want him to overpay and get a point guard that isn't going, that's not going to improve the team? No. No. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of my problems that I have with people saying that, oh, well, James Jones doesn't have experience, yada, yada, yada. He's made... Every move that he's made has made sense and I think has improved the team. Now, the team's still bad, but you've got a young group of kids... With a brand new head coach right. that don't that haven't had any consistency over the past, you know, their entire careers, you can't really expect him to improve the team all that much in the middle, you know, throughout the season. Well, for for one, one thing that kind of concerns me a little bit about putting Jones in the role is that most other, like, I get the idea of a player basically coming right off the court and moving into a coaching position. That kind of makes sense. You know, you're dealing with what you know. You're dealing with what's going on on the court. The GM position is all about relationships, and relationships take time to build. And those guys who are... Most GMs come up through growing those relationships, having been in those circles... So when they call up Danny Ainge, they can actually talk to him because they kind of know him. James Jones went from being a player to one year as the VP of basketball operations to now the co-interim GM, which is not a great combination of words, co-interim. That doesn't give a lot of confidence that that's the team going forward. But so from just from that standpoint, it's just um, a lot of that's really where my fear is. Similar, and I hate to use this analogy, but it's similar to like the Earl Watson situation. Is he went from an assistant on a G, on a G League team to within the next season he was an assistant, a pretty far down the bench assistant on an NBA team to then because of a bunch of weird moves, the only one left who could be the coach and got and then was given the job. And so it was kind of, I'm afraid he's being set up for failure just because he hasn't been given the tools and the time to properly develop his skills. You haven't answered my question. What has he done wrong? I'm saying that. Well, and I think you're wrong on the whole relationship thing with James Jones too. He's remember, got relationships with players. But remember, he but he was he was one of the highest executives in the N- NBA Players Association for a number of years. NBA Players Association deals with owners, deals with GMs, deals with executives. I, I think you're off base by saying that he doesn't have relationships. I think the respect that he has around the league with players, with executives, and with agents is really important for the Suns to have, which is why I think the idea of him being the GM, but having somebody that is a more seasoned person as a an executive of basketball operations or director of basketball operations president of basketball operations, grand czar of basketball operations, whatever the hell you want to call him, I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, and, and again, you know what I think article- would be good if we brought mm-hmm. in somebody for mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Donnie Walsh. That was a name that mm-hmm. was, I think, thrown around in something I was listening to, mm-hmm. but he's got, he's, he kind of wants <laughs> that little backseat kind of role really? a little bit more, he's, but he's got those connections and he can help jones build those relationships like let him do the day-to-day but kind of help kind of guide strategy a little bit more and he's betting successful 
No, yeah, I, I, th- I think that makes sense. I, th- well, I think that makes sense. The question is how much would Walsh want and how much would is Sarver willing to pay? And do those numbers match up? Yeah, and I, gosh, I had one other thing that I wanted to say about Jones, and it's escaping me. But yeah, I mean, it's too, it. yeah, you talk because it'll come back. Two to moves. Me. I mean, I didn't, I don't hate either of them. I mean, obviously, we we pontificated on Kelly Oubre for twenty minutes, and we all want we want him back. So I mean, that was a great move. I mean, actually, you can make an argument. Where did he screw up? They kind of screwed up on that initial trade, but it worked out like. As luck would have it, it worked out to the Suns' advantage. Mm-hmm. I think that just kind of came down to Washington got desperate, and whereas they wanted a pick, and then like because the trade fell through, they're like, "Well, no, we just gotta get the trade done now." Yeah. Um. So they were willing to accept sending Ubre. Well, and don't forget, don't forget him letting Tyson Chandler walk. I think that was the right move. Collusion or not with LeBron, I really don't care because it obviously hasn't helped the Lakers. No. And it helped the Suns. And Trevor Reese on the Wizards didn't really help them either. Right, so. exactly. So he, he, he well, well, a lot of this article says how he's not assertive, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. He looked at the roster, saw what he didn't like about it, and did something about it. Right. What else do you want a GM to do? Right, and being that he's co-interim, I mean, really, how much are you allowed to run roughshod over the construction of a team. You know, it's really more surgical, like, moves that you can kind of get away with during that time period. Um, so, I mean, from that standpoint, I, I, I don't, I didn't, I don't hate his, his, um, tenure thus far. I'd probably give it, like, a B minus. And Elton Brand's jam, too. Remember that? Mm-hmm. He's not that far removed from being an NBA player. This is true. Nobody's complaining about that. Granted, he walked into a much different situation. Yeah. But I think the idea that, oh, well, he just retired from the NBA should really have no bearing on whether he can or cannot be a GM. And right. maybe, maybe Sarver well, no, won't actually, keep there, him. There was a lot of question when that hire was, was made. I mean, he hasn't really – I mean, he's made, some, he's made some really significant moves. I mean, he brought in Jimmy Butler. He brought in Tobias Harris. You know, they're on – He's made some really significant moves, and I mean, we'll see how that plays out. But um, that is that is a good point. That Elton Brand is also a really young GM and coming from a player's position, which is it's an interesting the ex the, the the other thing with like getting a young ex player in there is like there's so much of the business aspect of running a team that I don't know. I mean, yes, players today understand the business aspect of being a basketball player, but how much do they truly understand the business aspects of operating a team? And it's just like the learning curve is just so high. Whereas getting somebody who grew up on that side of the the game, just, you know, it helps because they develop those skills and that knowledge without being in the decision, the final decision-making role. No, I got you. I got you. I wasn't really listening. I was looking something up, actually, so I don't got you. But, I mean, <laughs> Steve Kerr was a really good GM, and he was he had never really had a position. His only previous position outside of being a player was um, being an analyst. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can happen. It definitely can. I mean, if anybody can do it, I think James Jones has a good shot at it. I think he's got a really good head on his shoulders. I think he's got... Um, you know, he's got the right attitude. He's got a, the right relationships with players and, as you said, agents. I mean, particularly, like, after having been with LeBron for so many years. Not that we need that relationship with LeBron specifically, but LeBron's respect and um, friendship with him and both also just kind of carrying him along as he moved through his mm-hmm. – That I think that carries a lot of weight. Well, look what happened to LeBron after James Jones was gone. Well, he went, I know. He, he, he did okay one year. but One year. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, and, and to, to that point about his relationship with agents, too, from that ESPN article, quote, one agent with a client who was, who was disgruntled about his lack of playing time called Jones to express concern with low expectations and a neophyte executive. 
Jones definitely mediated the conflict among the player, coach, and the front office, according to the agent, who says he has rarely seen a touchy matter handled with so much... I, I don't know how to say this word. Alacrity? Alacrity? End quote. Al- 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 that, I doubt that was the actual word used by the agent. Maybe, who knows? <laughs> no, um, I, but I've, I could see it being a word used by Arnavitz. I feel like an idiot <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm a highly educated person. I don't know this yeah. word. Oh, brisk and cheerful readiness. I think alacrity. I didn't pronounce it right, at least. Okay, so I mean... That just I mean, that underscores the point there that James Jones has those relationships, and I think we'll be able to continue to develop them. I think he's going to be the GM. I'm sure everyone's going to freak out about it, like Suns fans do. I, I'm sorry, but I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'm sure. I love the Suns, but Suns fans are just ugh. So many Suns fans are just so ugh. Not anybody listening. You guys are the best, but so many Suns fans out there are just so ugh. And that's <laughs> all I have to say. I'm done now. I'm done. I have no more no more to say on this podcast. Paul, you? No, I'm, I'm good. You're all good? All right. So we'll wrap up this episode. As we always say here on Fanning the Flames, thank you very much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter. Tell me that I shouldn't say bad things about Suns fans like that. I'm at So Says Jay and Paul. At Dervish of World. And the you do pa- all those same things to me, too. Yes, yes, yes. Do them all to Paul. Just do them to Paul. Uh, and uh, the pod there you go the pod is (laughs) this was meant for you the pod is at fan the flames nba and until next time depending on when you're listening have yourself a good morning good afternoon or good evening thank you robert sarver